Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. Um, Thank you so much for joining for today's episode. I am super excited to have a very special guest on and to chat with her today. So I have Dr. Rebecca Williams. She is a psychologist, an award-winning author, and a wellness expert. So Dr. Williams, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk today. So I just gave you a little bit of an introduction, but do you mind introducing yourself a little bit about your background and what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, you said it very very clearly a second ago. I am a psychologist. Um, I just actually moved from San Diego, where I was a psychologist for 23 years, over to beautiful Savannah, Georgia, and it's exciting and fun here. In San Diego, I was a um, psychologist at a VA hospital for over 20 years, and uh, I was also associate clinical professor at University of California, San Diego. I was an adjunct faculty member at the University of San Diego teaching a substance abuse course to master's level people, and um, I had a small private practice in San Diego, so I was really kind of full-on doing um, the mental health care for the last 23 years, and just recently um, transition to slowing down a little bit and um, writing full time now is what I'm what I'm all about. That's awesome. I feel like California to Savannah, Georgia is probably very different. Like actually, it's on the it's culturally yeah, but it's on the same parallel literally. So it's literally driving directly across the country from one ocean to another ocean. I just put my foot in the Atlantic Ocean last weekend. I was like, whoa, I've done both oceans. I'm pretty psyched about that. Um, But yeah, no, it's culturally different, but uh, there's so much, there's so much depth here and history here. I'm every week I go out, I'm just learning so much more about, you know, the city, the architecture. It's just very cool here. Hope you come over soon and visit. I know we were talking before we hit record that my husband and I were just talking about <laughs> going to Savannah um, and my sister and her husband actually went there on their honeymoon. So they mm-hmm. had very positive things to say. Cool. Um, so I know you said you're writing full time, but, um, and you mentioned a little bit about teaching and private practice. So I always like to ask um, any psychologist or mental health professional I have on what their clinical interests are. Sure. My clinical interests, as you can guess, have always been in the addiction and recovery field. I, um, I love, I, well, I was working with a lot of clients. I love working with clients in recovery. Um, there's always a lot to unpack. I also love working with um, other mental and medical professionals who are having some experiences of burnout. I think you had a, um, 
a really cool um, podcast on, was it a week or two ago? Was, I, I listened to, it was great about your experience. And I think you're not alone. Uh, I even had the same thing happen to me where you just sort of like hit a wall. So, mm-hmm. so I, I focus on my own recovery from burnout. And also I like to talk to other providers about their well-being and their resilience in terms of of um, just staying in the field and staying strong mentally and physically for decades. Um, so I also love uh, supervising students. Um, we talk a lot about um, risk management, stress management, self-care, kind of the whole package of the career. And that's been one of my um, loves for the last 25 years or so. That's awesome. And I personally don't think we talk about burnout enough. So the fact that you work with that or worked with that is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely uh, always there, right? Yes. (laughs) It's, it's always there. Even some weeks I feel burnt out and the next week I can feel fine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I had the same thing happen to me. So So do you mind sharing a little bit about how you got into addiction work? Sure. Well, two reasons, really. I would say the first one uh, is my lived experience with family members who were struggling with their own addiction. I think a lot of um, mental health providers come into the field, you know, with uh, a prior experience or understanding based on growing up, um, whether it's depression, anxiety, addiction. For me, it was addiction drugs and alcohol. And um, I noticed growing up what a tough time it was having on my family and also families around me. So it, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I got to figure this in. This is a puzzle. I got to figure this one out. Um, so that's how that started. And then I end up going to graduate school and studying and researching addiction in, in, in graduate school, which was a nice, um, it just happened to be that the professor that I was working with got a huge grant to study addiction. So it was a perfect fit for me. Studied it for five years in, in, the, in graduate school and wrote a book during graduate school <laughs> uh, on addiction, couples counseling and addiction. Uh, 20 years ago now. Um, But so I think just that experience and then seeing so many people with addiction problems, um, along with mental health problems, it just seemed like such a pervasive experience for folks trying to cope and deal with life. Uh, So I just, um, I just have a compassion for folks who are on that journey of recovery. And I understand Um, being overwhelmed with cravings and triggers um, when you're addicted to something. And so I, I just, it just linked up for me really nicely. I love that you made the comment that a lot of us go into mental health because of our own experiences. Cause when you started sharing your story, that was literally my first thought. Cause I think a lot of us do go into mental health, whether it's due to childhood experiences or things we've gone through. I know in my graduate program, we used to say research is me search because we all (laughs) research things related to experiences Mm -hmm. that we had. And it sounds like you did something very similar. Yeah. And I think, I think the the best mental health professionals actually do have that lived experience, Uh, you know, from my, from all my colleagues and my friends, I think folks who've been through it either in their families or, uh, personally, um, are on the front lines of trying to help other people figure things out. 
Oh, definitely. And just offhand, like, I don't know if I know a mental health professional that hasn't gone through some type of Mm -hmm. lived experience, at least in my Mm -hmm. circle. Mm -hmm. I agree. Absolutely. So I was going to just say you have published two books, but it sounds like you've published more because you published one 20 years ago. But the ones I was going to talk about are the Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction and the Gift of Recovery. And you published these with your co-author, Julie Kraft, um, licensed marriage and family therapist. So what inspired you to write these books? And can you tell listeners a little bit about them? Of course. I love talking about my books. <laughs> love it. It's my day job. Yeah, no, it's, it's been, it's been a great journey. Uh, well, here's the thing, uh, Jessica, I have been holding on to the idea uh, that I had in my head and maybe you've been like this and other, and maybe your listeners are like this. You have an idea and you've been holding on to it and you can't find it in the research or it's not where you want it to be. And the big idea that I was holding on to, again, based on lived experience, was that loss and addiction go hand in hand. Like a person has a loss, they try to manage that loss with addiction, uh, using drugs, alcohol, or other addictive behaviors. Um, And using those addictive behaviors creates more more loss. So this like a, I, I, I couldn't find this in the research, this loss addiction loss cycle. So that's what I was into. But I hadn't uh, written about it or done anything with that idea. Um, so, but I knew it was already in the back of my mind. I had this idea for like 14 years, crazy, right? And um, I really wanted to unpackage it. Um, luckily, I met um, I, as, as I mentioned, I was a supervisor and I, and I, I, I think I had 60 over the course of my career, I've had 60 marriage and family therapists or, or psychologists or other professionals that I was supervising. And this all put out in my mind, um, really had some spark and, um, and we decided to work together, but we'll, we'll unpackage that in a minute. I I just want to talk a little bit more about the, how the the books, and then we'll go back and talk about uh, how awesome Julie is. Um, So uh, the first book that you mentioned, the mindfulness workbook for addiction, that is a user-friendly workbook that therapists can use um, with their clients, either in person or virtually. I know most everyone is doing online therapy now. So this kind of book, this workbook is great to have your client on one side of the screen, you on the other side, dealing with the thoughts, emotions, and triggers um, that that, um, exacerbate addiction. So that workbook has 60 worksheets. It's really cool. It's, as you mentioned, and before we started going on here, it's easy to read. It's for clients. It's for counselors. It's actually been picked up in the prison system. So, so people who are really at the beginning stages do really well with this book, um, the workbook. And um, the publishers came back to us and asked us to write kind of a pocket guide, sort of an additional companion guide to go with the workbook. So we developed the gift of recovery, uh, which is basically 52 weeks of the year, 52 ways to be more mindful in your recovery. 
And that book is cool because it has affirmations for every day. It has mindfulness exercises. It really does um, get a person through the day with self-compassion and self-awareness and the ability to kind of cope with, with life stressors. Hello. Would you like to learn to meditate? Or perhaps you've meditated for quite some time. I started around 50 years ago. As you know, meditation is good for lots, including stress reduction, letting go of anxiety, self-exploration, and ultimately awakening. If meditation or awakening interests you, check out my podcasts on Awakening Together with William Cooper. All of them are free. Both the description and the link are in the show notes of this podcast. I love that you mentioned the affirmations because you were so kind to send me your uh, books ahead of time. And that was one thing that really stuck out to me when going through the gift of recovery, seeing the affirmations. And um, I did a lot of self-compassion research in graduate school. I love self-compassion. So anything like self-compassion, mindfulness base, I love. Um, And that also is very user-friendly to use your term, um, similar to the workbook as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, affirmations were big in the, they were big a long time ago, they've been around and then they stopped and then it came back. And I think just just having on your phone or um, maybe a post-it note, a daily affirmation is very powerful. I, you're, you actually can change the, you know, the pathways of your brain by continually looking at positive affirmations about how to get through a rough patch or, how, or knowing that you're good just the way you are kind of thing. So I'm a big fan of affirmations. I am too. The alarms on my phones are all different affirmations because I'm one of those people that sets like five alarms, <laughs> but exactly. they're all different affirmations for the day. Right. Right. And how does that work for you? Do, you? do you find that it helps your day? I love it because my the primary one um, that goes off like the first alarms or the first thing I see um, is uh, you are more competent than you think because mm-hmm. imposter syndrome and just, mm-hmm. you know, burnout like we were talking about. Um, and it's nice to when you're turning off your alarm, the first thing you see is something positive rather than like, I don't know scrolling through social media. Right. Yeah. Or beating yourself up for something that's either small or that's not, you can't fix, or, you know, I think part of addiction to recovery from addiction is realizing that um, it is what it is. This is how life is. I mean, you know, as much as we want to change it and fix it and make it different, uh, recovery from addiction is is about those af- those small af- those tiny affirmations that just basically say you're good you're fine mm-hmm. you're gonna make it um, you know be kind most definitely mm-hmm. so I know you said you wanted to like talk about how amazing Julie is um, so <laughs> <laughs> we're really gonna be discussing how to write a successful book um, specifically with a co-author so first part of this question is why did you decide to write your books with a co-author? And can you talk a little bit about the process of finding a good co-author and what things to look for when determining a good fit? Oh, those are all really important and good questions. Let let me start with how, um, why I decided personally, I love collaborating with folks. Um, As you probably remember, 
you know, in graduate school or even in undergrad, you can, you know, when you have your team with you, whether it's another professor or it's your colleagues and you write together or work together, it's, it's fun. Uh, it's great. And you actually do really well on the projects because you, you're in a pretty good space when you're working with other people. So I love to bounce ideas off of uh, my colleagues. I want to hear their ideas. Um, writing is a lonely process. <laughs> uh, any writer will tell you that. Um, most of us are introverts and it's okay for the most part, but uh, generally speaking, it's pretty lonely uh, when you're sitting at, with the screen, you know, all day. So um, I think having collaboration is key and also having different viewpoints. For example, Julie is, I think, 20 years younger than me. So it's her viewpoint versus my viewpoint. Um, we're from different places. We have different life experiences. So it's been kind of cool to hear her perspective on things, especially addiction and mindfulness and loss. It's been fascinating. Um, so how do you find a good co-author? Yee-hoo! Well, well, well. Um, that is the million-dollar question. I mean, for me, I'm looking for um, spark and curiosity. Uh, how, how I found Julie is that she was a marriage and family therapy intern under me, and, we, and I saw her work. We worked together. Um, but writing was sort of a separate process than clinical work. So uh, making sure that a person, you know, uh, likes to write and can write. She happened to be a great writer. Um, her mom is a writer, for example. Um, so that was cool. But um, I, I believe that um, how I worked it out was that I floated the idea of writing together with her. And I said, wait, 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 don't say yes right away or no right away. Think of, take it home, think about it because it's actually gonna be extra time that's not gonna be during your clinical time or my clinical time. So how are we gonna work that puzzle out? Um, so she did go home, think about it, come back. And she was, you know, two thumbs up. I, she wanted to do this. I was looking for someone who was kind, intelligent, and motivated um, because who do you want to hang out with for the next 10 years, you know? Um, five years if you're lucky, 10 years if you're super lucky. Like Julie and I have a 10th anniversary edition of our workbook coming out. That's 10 years of working together, literally deadlines and marketing and just a long, long time. So I think the question that your, your listeners might want to ask themselves is, who do you want to hang out with for 10 years? I mean, who do you like that much? And um, who's going to be in your life for 10 years um, versus just kind of passing through like a lot of colleagues tend to do sometimes. Um, so having a great relationship for the time, being kind, I'm looking for, that was what I was looking for, believe it or not. You know, someone said, someone who can edit your work is the most important thing. And I'm like, well, actually, someone who's kind is the most important thing. I know that sounds odd because you don't think of that, right? But it, for me, it was really, really important. Having someone who, who can have um, really good communication, understand deadlines, Trust is really important, I think, with your co-author. So when you're looking for a co-author, looking for someone you trust um, and someone who can handle the fact that you will be taking breaks, like to have children or to <laughs> have life or to get married. You know, the, like I said, a 10-year writing career, you definitely are going to have life events that are going to tweak the writing situation. 
Um, and I think with Julie and I, we, um, we celebrate our wins. There's a lot of mini little wins in there. There's like, oh, you know, get the big wins. Like we got a contract, holy moly, this is awesome. And then these little wins, like we, we edited chapter three, yay. You know, so, you know, little things, big things. And to be able to roll with that, with someone that you like for 10, five to 10 years is, is what you're gonna be looking for. You know, it's almost like the non, there's tangibles, but there's all these non-tangibles of like, you know, someone who is kind and generous and stuff like that. I love that you said those things because you're right. I think on the surface, we think, oh, we want somebody that like can edit our work. Mm -hmm. And I, I did love that you said somebody that likes to write, which seems obvious, but it might not be. <laughs> so mm-hmm something that wants to write, but one thing that, cause you were using a lot of like, um, descriptions of like things that you were looking for in a person, like kind, intelligent, motivated. I wrote down like spark and curiosity. And, um, I like that you pose the question, like, who do you want to hang out with for the next 10 years? But a question that came to my mind as well is like, what type of person mm-hmm. do I want to work with? Um, And you were basically saying that without saying it. So like for you, it's important to work with somebody that's kind Mm -hmm. Um, for another person. It might be important to work with somebody, I don't know, that has X, Y, or Z quality. So um, I love that answer because I feel like that's not an answer a lot of people would expect. It surprised me also having similar to you, uh, having a type A personality, you want to get things done, you want to get them done yesterday, and who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know, all that vibe going on. But at the end of the day, over the last 10 years, it's about kindness. It's kindness is the number one thing, Uh, you know, not what I expected to say, but that's really the truth of it, you know. That's awesome. Any other things you want to like praise about uh, Julie before I ask you the next question? <laughs> oh, oh, uh, she, uh, she, she's wonderful. I don't know if she's, um, I'm going to send this to her when you send it, when it's, when it's completed, you know, this podcast and even I'll send it to her mother too, you know, but it's, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just, just, it's cool. It's cool to have mm-hmm. a writing partner. It's cool to have a writing buddy. And uh, I've really enjoyed, it's been one of the high points of my career. Oh, definitely. And this is different, but like we were talking about in grad school and me and a couple of my colleagues and friends in grad school would write papers together because we all liked different parts of the research process and it worked out perfectly. (laughs) And that was great too. That's a really good point because I'm, as a psychologist, I'm more research heavy. And as an American family therapist, she's more clinical heavy. And that's another good balancing act to, to actually combine the, the research and the clinical together in a book um, or two books that I, I think you make a really good point about, you know, just making sure that there's a balance there um, of research and clinical stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is going to be like a super broad question, but can you describe the process you went through with regard to like pitching, writing and publishing your books and any million steps in between that I did not ask Uh, about? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. This, this is a whole podcast in itself. Honestly, this question, it's a cool question. I hope I do it justice. Um, let me see if I can kind of take it in steps here. Um, 
but I would love to come back and do another podcast on the actual nuts and bolts of pitching, writing, publishing, marketing. I mean, it's a huge thing. Um, anyhow, first things first, the topic. Um, obviously that your topic has to grab the reader, right? And it's gotta be something relatively new, but also something that people know about, you know? So for us, of course, it was addiction and mindfulness. And 10 years ago, mindfulness was new-ish, um, but addiction had obviously been around for, you know, since the beginning of time, right? Um, so just being able to maybe meld things together and have an idea of, like, let's just say you want to, you're, you're a pediatric psychologist, so you're probably going to focus on, you know, family and what does the, what does the family need? Plus you want to maybe add a little piece that's new. Um, uh, so um, that's number one is your, is really grabbing your audience with your topic and then figuring out who your target audience is. That's number two. So um, for us, it was both therapists and people in recovery. Um, that's a huge number, and I'll tell you what the number is. Um, so according to the National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, 30 million people in the U.S. have a problem with drugs and alcohol. Third, your, your target audience is 30 million people. Is that okay with you? Yes? That's a lot. Okay. 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 So that's the, that's the mindset that you have to start thinking about. The larger the audience, the better, right? And the other big audience, as we talked about earlier, is the uh, mental health professionals in the U.S. And, and not just the U.S., I'll talk about that too, but um, the Department of Labor says there are 577,000 mental health professionals, okay? That's over half a million um, mental health professionals, how does that number sound to you? Is that a good enough number, big enough number? Is that, is that a group of people that you can get your arms around? Um, so whoever your audience is, you need to research it and figure out who, who they are, where they are, what the demographic is, and not just in the United States, um, but in other places too. For example, I've done podcasts um, Australia um, for, for the Australian audience. I've done um, webinars in, for Canada in the Canadian audience. So um, that's pretty cool when you think about going wider than just the US of A. And our books have been translated into Korean, Japanese, uh, and um, Hungarian, and soon to come out in, in Russian. So um, once you start, you know, your mind starts going target audience wide, wise, think wider, think larger. Um, um, so it's good to know who your audience is, but make sure you can expand it out. Next after the audience is the publisher, of course. So um, for me, what we did is I looked on my clinical bookshelf and I noticed there were a, a couple of books I was reaching for again and again, and, and you may have the same, same situation. Okay, I'm gonna pull this book off the shelf because if my client has this problem again and again and again. So for us, um, it was New Harbinger Publications. I kept pulling up you know, workbooks to give to my students or to talk to with my clients, and it was always the same publication. So but each person has a different, you know, special book. Your listeners could have completely different 
um, publisher than I than than us. So um, for workbooks, New Harbinger is excellent. Um, but if you're not into a workbook, there's plenty of other publishers. So just Google top publishers or top publishers for self-help and just do your research around the publishers and get clarification of who the, the top ones are. Tell me if you want to, I have a lot more to talk about on this one. This is no, one, keep going. Uh, I'm just, I'm yeah. just listening, but yeah, no, I can relate. I okay. noticed like I'm pulling the same books off and it's like, yeah. oh, and now, of course, when we're on this podcast, I couldn't tell you what publisher it is, but I know right. it's right. <laughs> the same right. ones. Exactly. And when you go back to your office, you can kind of see who the publisher is for, for those, those popular books. And, uh, and when you get to that, your bookshelf and you look on who the publisher is, um, you, you go online and Google the publisher, obviously, and you um, scroll down to the bottom of the page. What? And then you find this little phrase called publish with us. And you think publish with me, publish with you. And you're going, how is this possible that they know me? But, but yeah, so that's the piece that you want to just relax into and say, huh, publish with us. Let me, let me click on that. And so Every publisher has that section, but it's usually at the very bottom, right? It's contact us, publish with us. Okay, you got to go down to the bottom. Um, and once you click on that, there's proposal guidelines. And uh, this is where it gets interesting. And this is where it's a separate podcast because there's a ton of stuff around the proposal. But for today, I can certainly tell you that um, for self-help books, they usually ask for two to three chapters, a table of contents, and a market analysis of your competition. So, um, you know, if you're writing with somebody, um, the two to three chapters can, can kind of maybe flow pretty well. Um, and the table of contents, you can back and forth and say, how about this, how about this? Um, I usually um, make sure that I look at the competition, which means you might have to buy a couple of books or go online, you know what I'm saying? So it depends on what you're doing, but you will need some, upfront capital to kind of do this project. <laughs> Buying books is important um, or, or getting them on, on uh, eBooks. Um, and then, cause you're gonna have to look at the market analysis about what's your competition. So for us, my, m mindfulness is a competition, addiction is a competition. We looked at all the books around that to see if they were anything, what we were gonna do and how they were selling. So on Amazon, you can kind of, you know, you, you know, most of your, your listeners know Amazon and how to get books and looking at all that. So, but I get, I go deep into Amazon. I'm heavily, I'm on Amazon almost every day looking at a whole bunch of different algorithms and analysis and who's buying what and whatever. Um, so it's kind of crazy what I do, but, but you're gonna have to get comfortable with understanding the market and what your competition is, how and how they're selling, and um, because the bottom line, Jess, is that publishers are in the market of selling books. They're not in the market of your dreams <laughs> and how awesome you are, and what you know. They're in the market of selling books. So anything related to your book, they're going to look at, um, and they're going to do their own market analysis too, before they say okay to your green light your book. Um, so that's kind of a real, uh, you know, quick version of all those topic questions that you just asked me, but they're super important to going forward. Um, the writing, um, the writing part 
is important too. So for Julie and I, um, we wrote the proposal and got it in in December. Uh, and then we went away on vacation and came back and about six months later, it takes a while. So be patient, my friends. Uh, six months later, they um, gave us a green light. Um, so we they reviewed it, they take it to what they do is an acquisitions editor over at say New Harbinger takes it to her team or his team and they they've got to sell it so the acquisitions editor now has to sell your idea to a whole team of people so it's got to be compelling enough to get to that next level okay and then um from there once we got the okay and the contract was reviewed and signed back and forth um took about nine months to write the book give or take, but they have deadlines for us and we have to hit those deadlines, obviously, you, you, you've been there. Um, so I would recommend your, your listeners um, not reinvent the wheel and I would say find a book that you think is, that you love and you think is successful based on Amazon reviews, based on how long it's been around, et cetera, and use it as a template to write what you are thinking of writing, just, just as an outline. So let's just say, I like a book with 10 chapters and each chapter has say six worksheets, for example. I mean, we did it a little bit differently, but for the most part, that was a template we used and we plugged our new ideas into the 10 chapter model. Um, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, no. And I love that um, like tidbit of information rather than reinventing the wheel, find a book that has the same format that you're thinking of, or mm -hmm. um, I was going to say topic, but like, I guess, inspiration for inspiration. Inspiration yeah. is a good word. Yeah. Um, it is all about inspiration because you're going to be writing on weekends. Usually people have full-time jobs that are writing. At least I did. Julie did. Um, so I was writing on the weekend. So you've got to feel that inspiration and, and use it as your kind of your foundation going forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did I answer all the Yes, no, that was that was wonderful. Um and it kind of brings me to my next question um of what advice or tips do you have for authors or potential authors with regard to promoting and making revenue um mm. from a book? Thank you for asking that question. No one talks about revenue, but that's really important um for us as mental health professionals. So I'm a big fan of of not being shy about talking about that um, topic. So um, I have a lot of tips, but I would say um, the most important tip is start the thinking about marketing before you start thinking about writing. Um, so you, you must think about yourself as a marketer, not just a writer or a psychologist or a social worker or um, an MFT. So I know that's counterintuitive for us because we're not trained to be marketing or marketers. Um, I know I wasn't, I wish I was. I actually, I, this is a secret that I've only told two other people, Jess, I love marketing. Um, I love marketing. I think it's fun. I think it's a puzzle and, and I like to put the puzzle pieces together. I love cold calls, cold emails, cold everything. I, you know, I'm starting from scratch and I, every day I, tr I try to make a connection with somebody. 
like with you. And I, I, this is awesome. Yeah. I was about to say, like you reached out to me. Yeah. Yeah. I reached out to you because you have a great podcast and I really respect it. And I, I, I love what you are about. I mean, I I do it out of integrity. I Mm -hmm. only, I only reach out to people that I really find that I have a kinship with and they don't all have to be psychologists. I have nutritionists that I reach out to physicians, naturopaths. I, I love the diversity of reaching out to people. And I've been on nutrition podcasts and all sorts of different kinds of podcasts talking about how to bring mindfulness into, into um, recovery from addiction. So it's, it's creative. It's fun. It's, it's, it's a creative, fun way to kind of do things. Um, so the, the first tip, of course, is to be your own best friend as a marketer and not to shy away from it, not to think someone else is going to do it, not to think your co-author is going to do it, um, not to think the publisher is going to do it. They will help you. But at the end of the day, you are marketing your own book. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the take home message about that. Um, reaching out to your audience, which, you know, I think is really important. Um, and however you're doing, I mean, you're doing that with your face, Facebook's uh, social media. Um, you're better, you Jess are better at it than I am. I, you know, so I'm still, I, I do marketing differently. I think outside the bo- box, mm-hmm. um, along with podcasts, I like your, like yours. Um, I like, um, I like doing webinars. Uh, like I mentioned, international mm-hmm. webinars are, are fun. And we were, we were, Julie and I were doing conferences together, but of course that kind of slowed down quite a bit in the last two years. Um, I love having my books on continuing education websites. I know this, uh, this sounds maybe odd because you don't think about this, but as you're writing a book, think of where, who's going to, if it's for therapists, how are they going to get to it? And can they use it to get continuing education credits? You know, so now that you have my two books, you can go on 12 or 13, I think on my website, I have 13 continuing education websites and you can click on there, read my book, take their test and get continuing education credit. Easy. That is something I would have never thought of. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But, but literally Jess, I reached out to 13 um, agencies that offer continuing education to, um, you know, psychologists or social workers or even addiction counselors and nurses and pastors and, you know, everybody. So, um, and all of them were excited. I mean, literally, I think I had like a really high hit rate on, on that. And um, one of them, ce-credit.com, for example, has 580 therapists that have read our workbook and gotten credit for it. And they've reviewed it and the whole thing. So that's a lot of therapists that are using our workbook for their CEUs. So fun. Would you consider that fun? <laughs> I mean, we have to get CEUs anyways. So right, bingo, you got it. Might as well do it with something that you enjoy or through a book rather than sitting in a all day. Yes. I'm an you don't want to be in. Exactly. And wouldn't you want to take a CEU from your friend's book, you know, mm-hmm. book course or, or colleague or, or one of your, you know, former um, students that you've worked with, you know, I mean, that's, so I reach out and try to let everybody know that they can get credit for reading our books. 
So anyway, um, emails are obviously also hugely important for marketing and making sure you develop and you you're good at this better than I am. I'm just I'm just learning all over again uh, how to do all this because our book's coming out again at a 10th yeah. anniversary edition. So I have to kind of start um, with my new group. But sending emails out is really, really key. Pri- personal emails, like say, hey, guess what? My 10th anniversary edition is coming out. You can, you can get credit, you can, whatever. So I think that's fun. Um, I recommend that people get, a, as soon as you get a title for your book, buy the web domain name, So, um, which we did years ago, and I'm still using it. Uh, obviously, I have a name of myself uh, as, a, as a web um, as a domain name, but I also have the name of my book. Um, and that's how people can find the book. If they're looking at mindfulness and addiction, my website comes up, not my name. Nobody knows who I am really. I mean, <laughs> sorry to say, it. Um, but my, my book is in front of me and it comes out first. Does that, does that sound cool? Yeah. So buy that. It's what, uh, whatever it is a year, 20, 30, I don't know what it is. Um, so on a, an ongoing revolving account. Um, so, um, and another thing for karma, um, you might like this one, Jess, is uh, I review other people's books on Amazon a lot. So I have a hundred reviews on Amazon. Uh, and these are all books I've read that I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a book person. I buy books, I read books over the last. So, so I, as soon as I read a book, I put a review on Amazon for my colleague, my people. Um, and I appreciate people reviewing my book. I do other people's, and that's just part of, you know, the vibe mm-hmm. and, and working out there. So <laughs> I love it. What you, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, because I think I'm unique in that, but I really do enjoy that kind of, kind of out of the box thinking. Yeah. Love it. And I yeah. like that you said, you know, think about marketing before writing. Um, yes. And the first thing that came to my mind, and this could totally be off base, but like for me, um, as some like kind of like we we're talking about, like you have an idea, you you shared that you had an idea for a book for like 14 years. But if you're marketing, if you're saying like I'm coming out with this book, I have this domain name, even if it's not written, that like gives you mm-hmm. accountability. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, okay. Now I have to do this because I'm telling people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this thing coming out. Right. And, and um, kind of in addition to that, um, if you know a web designer or you have a buddy who's a web designer, I mean, I had to hire a web designer, but she was the one who recommended I just immediately grab the name, the title name and, and hold on to it. Um, even before the book, even before the web website was up, even before the book is out, just grab it and um, that you are accountable at that point um, to take, to take care of that. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. So um, as we're kind of nearing the end, if someone is listening and is considering writing a book, but is hesitant or doesn't feel like they know where to start, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I would first say I'm a big fan of this mantra. um, Be expert at the problem. Um, so whatever the problem is for you, whether it's where do I start? How do I do this? I, I don't have the confidence. I don't know how to market, whatever the thing is, or I don't know enough about the topic that I love. Um, be expert at it. 
um, which means you'll have to research it. You'll have to um, take classes um, in it. For, for example, like you mentioned earlier, writing, make sure that you are writing with someone that likes to write. I am taking a writing class right now. And, and I think your listeners may want to take a writing class or a marketing class or a class on how to write a proposal, for example. These are all really cool buckets of things that, are, that you can get really good at if you become expert at them. Um, so get comfortable researching your ideas, get comfortable on Amazon, just kind of lean, I think, you know, not lean into it, lean back and notice, you know, what it is you need personally. You may need a mentor. Um, you may need to work with someone if you have self-doubt. Um, so, and writing with a co-author is, if that's something you want to do, embrace that and be an expert at what that's all about, like listening to this podcast or other, you know, other ways to figure out how to write with somebody, how to get the voices lined up so that the book actually is, feels like it's in, from one voice, for example. And ultimately, you can do this. Um, be kind to yourself and be patient. It does take time. It, it will take a couple of years door to door to actually, if you start a project after you listen to our podcast um, and then you start your project, it'll take like a couple of years from, from now. Okay. But that's okay. Just be patient with yourself and your co-author. Bring in that self-compassion that we talked exactly. about. Full exactly. circle. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so Rebecca, this has been great. Is there anything I have not asked you about that you do want to touch on um, as we are wrapping up? Yeah, I was just wondering if you're thinking of writing a book or what your what your plans are. So when I was in graduate school, I actually uh, co-edited a um, book. It's very research heavy, um, a positive psychological approach to suicide. Um, so it's very research heavy on suicide. And when you just said a couple, not even a couple minutes ago, like it will take years, it literally took all of graduate school mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. us to write that together. Granted, there's other things going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, recently I've noticed like a lot of people I've connected with through social media and things like that have, um, and by people, I mean, other mental health professionals have been writing books and I, it's definitely in the back of my mind. I'm kind of in the phase of, I don't know where or what I would write on yet, um, but I think I'm the type of person, if something comes to me, it's like, oh, that, like even just starting this podcast, like I had the name for this podcast well before I even knew it was going to be a podcast. <laughs> like, if that <laughs> makes sense, I was like, psych yeah. talk. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but one day I'm going to use that. Um, so yeah, possibly one day and mm -hmm. in all my spare time, that's <laughs> um, right, right, right. But like yeah. you said, it's weekends, it's nights. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I miss, I, I do miss writing. Like you have your PhD. So we did a lot of writing and research in graduate school. And I haven't been doing that, um, as much since working clinical full-time. Um, but I definitely miss that aspect of things. So possibly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, a co-writer and a co-author cuts the work in half. Mm -hmm. 
keep that in mind as you as you decide if you decide to move forward that it's actually instead of writing 10 chapters it's writing five chapters you mm -hmm. know so and 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 i think most of us in graduate school are pretty good at editing and looking at other people's work and so that skill will definitely come into play um and i also i think that's a fun skill to have too the editing skill but yeah so you know, it's, it's, it's waiting for you out there, whatever that, whatever that idea is. Yes. And, and when I figure it out, I will be sure to let you know, please let me know. I'm curious. I'm so I curious. will. Yeah. Um, so the last question I like to ask all my guests is where can people connect with you? And for you, where can people buy your books? Okay. Well, um, pretty easy with me. Mindfulnessworkbook.com is where you can find out about me, my books, the CEU stuff. Um, I'm going to post your, your podcast on my website, which will be fun for other people to, to check out. Um, my books are everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Books a Million, and my publisher's website, newharbinger.com. I think they're having a deal going on right now, 20% off for the um, for the next couple minutes. Um, so yeah, I think everywhere and, um, yeah, hopefully you can check, you can touch base with me if, if, um, if I can help in any way. And I'll put your links in the show notes of this episode so people can connect with you even more easily. So thank you so much for joining and reaching out and having this conversation. Um, it's, I love it because obviously we talked about addiction and mindfulness, but it's, it's different than podcast episodes I've done. But I think just knowing the audience that listens to this podcast and people that I've connected with, um, I'm sure there are plenty of people having that kind of itch. Should I write a book? Should I not? What would it be like? What does it look like? Knowing that having a co-author is half the work, maybe that will motivate people. <laughs> yeah. Totally. jump on it. So just thank you so much for taking your time to uh, chat with me this evening. Thank, thank you for inviting me, Jess. It's been fa fabulous. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk, and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.